Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Our guest on the show today is the winningest snowboarder in history, Kelly Clark. Just a few weeks ago, Kelly retired after an astonishing 20-year career that included three Olympic medals, 78 wins, a 16-contest win streak, and about 140 podium finishes. And yet, Kelly is not simply defined by her contest results and first-place finishes, so I talk with her about success and greatness and achievement and how things like these relate to and sometimes get really confused and twisted with other really important things like happiness and fulfillment. So yes, Kelly and I cover a whole lot of ground in this conversation. We talk about her career, her new limited edition Rise Snowboard that she designed with Burton, how the sport of snowboarding has evolved over the course of her career, her relationship with Chloe Kim, the mission of the Kelly Clark Foundation, we get her extremely important thoughts on achievement and success. And finally, we talk about what's next for Kelly. Before we get started here, I want to mention two quick things. We've got our second installment of the Blister Speaker Series happening live at Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado at 6 p.m. on Thursday, February 28th. And you are all invited to this free event. Our guest is Eric Larson, the polar adventurer, expedition guide, dog musher, and climate educator. And he is the first person in history to have completed expeditions to the North Pole, South Pole, and the summit of Mount Everest in a 365-day period. So come join us in Gunnison, Colorado on February 28th at 6 p.m. And for more information about the Blister Speaker Series at Western, just ask Siri or say, hey, Google, or type Blister Speaker Series at Western on our website or in your favorite search engine. Done. The other thing I want to do is to invite all of you to the Blister Showroom and HQ Open House that we are having on March 2nd. Our headquarters are located at the Elevation Hotel right at the base of Crested Butte Mountain Resort. And you should come pay us a visit, have some libations, see a bunch of new gear, and just really have a good time in CB. The open house will run from 3 to 6 p.m. on March 2nd. So really what you should do is head to the Gunnison Valley on February 28th to catch Eric Larson at Western, then get a few days of skiing or riding in at Crested Butte, and then you can wrap up your trip at our open house on March 2nd. There you go, perfect itinerary. And now let's get to my conversation with the great Kelly Clark. Hi, Kelly. How are you today and where are you today? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I am actually at home in Sacramento, California. I just returned from a few week trip to Europe and I'm kind of hitting the reset button before my next trip. Okay. The next question I wanted to ask you um, is just how's this retirement of yours going? It doesn't maybe sound like you're so retired quite yet. Yeah, I am much busier than I anticipated. Uh, I think retirement is a funny term. Um, you know, it's definitely perhaps more of an evolution of my career rather than a retirement, kick your feet up, call it a call it a day, um, a sort of retirement. Uh, it's been filled with a lot of travel, a lot of speaking, and fortunately, a lot of powder riding so far. 
Well, that's good. You were riding POW in Europe? Yes. Um, I had a series of speaking events with Burton over there. We did a bunch of panel discussions with Donna Carpenter and myself through uh, Germany, Austria, and I ended up in Switzerland uh, riding POW on the tail end of my trip. So um, a bunch of my worlds kind of are coming together at the moment, and it's it's been a nice change of pace for me. Well, I don't know how much of this um, you were talking about in, in, in Europe with Donna, but certainly one of the things that you've got going on is – well, you've come out with Burton with a new limited edition Rise snowboard. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, you know, looking at my relationship with Burton this year and thinking about, uh, you know, what we could do to really kind of celebrate our 20-year relationship, uh, the board design was something that Donna came up with. And um, she wanted it to be a preview of our um new sustainability standards for next year. So that's kind of like where she came into the picture and she said, Hey, sky's the limit. Uh, I'll help work on materials and make sure it's the most sustainable board we've ever produced. And uh, sky's the limit for you. Make it the the board of your dreams. So even after, you know, being a competitive professional snowboarder for 20 years, I mean, designing your own snowboard is a real treat. So uh, I had a lot of fun. I basically tried to build the ultimate resort resort powder board was what I came up with. So it's it's tapered, it's good all over the mountain, it's good on deep snow days, and it's good just for um, ripping on the groomers as well. Sometimes I worried about you that over the course of your career, most of your time on a board was just spent in a frozen half pipe. But it sounds like maybe this isn't quite accurate. You, you find yourself outside of the pipe and, and on the rest of the mountain a decent amount. No, that's a real concern you had. I think that's a concern I had for a while as well. Um, you know, I I wrote Half Pipe for so long because I absolutely loved it. And when we first started competing when I was young, um, you know, the, the average pro snowboarder was much more well-rounded. And so I've spent a great deal of time in the backcountry, uh, riding everything there was to ride, whether that be slope style, half pipes, different things. It was only in the last probably 10 years of my career that the progression of half pipe became so uh, quick that I really had to spend, you know, quite literally all my time focusing on that one thing. So I've, I definitely became very specialized in the last 10 years, probably spending more of my time in an icy u-shaped ditch um but i knew a day would come where you know i wouldn't have to skip a powder day to be able to to ride pipe and train because i knew there'd be a day where the only thing that would be required of me would be to ride powder for the rest of my life and that day's come so i put in my time in the icy half pipe um, and I'm kind of falling back on my foundation of, of you know, being able to, to spend a lot more time in soft snow. That's a, I think it sounds like a nice transition for you. Yeah, very much. I mean, gosh, I, I loved riding half pipe. I loved competing. I, I loved everything about it. Um, but the beautiful thing about snowboarding is that, you know, it's, it's not specific to one to one area, one aspect of the sport. So now I'm just kind of, kind of transition and pivot into another aspect of the, of the sport and move forward. I have to ask when you talk about a 20 year career, um, and you, you maybe just 
kind of hinted at an answer to this question, but what's the biggest change you've seen in snowboarding over the course of this 20-year career? You know, I just put together a um, a 20-year archive piece with Burton um, to announce my retirement. And in that project, I was uh, looking at old footage and and watching, you know, the very beginning of my career. And um, I had posted this video on Instagram uh, from quite literally uh, 1999, 20 years ago. And the the pipes were probably the biggest difference of what I saw. They were, you know, a little over 10 feet tall. And now we're looking at a 22 foot tall wall. So, you know, you used to be able to ride across the flat bottom of a half pipe and see people walking on the deck. Um, and that's just not possible anymore. I think that just the, the venue um, of the pipes that we're competing in, uh, the steepness, the pitch, the height, you know, the, the speed, everything is just advanced. I think that's been the, the biggest change that I've seen over the last 20 years is total transformation and the actual, um, the actual pipes that we're riding. So speaking of these monster walls, I really wanted to ask you about injuries. You know, Lindsey Vaughn basically hung it up a bit earlier than she wanted to simply because of the number of injuries she's experienced in her career. And I know you've had your share, but it still seems remarkable to me that you've been doing this for 20 years and I guess, I don't know, are still alive. Um, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about this. Do you chalk this up to to luck, to miracles, to some degree of intelligence? I mean, how, how does this happen? <laughs> um, you know, it's probably a combination of of all of those things, I think, um, you know, I, I can kind of just speak from what I know about snowboarding. Um, you just get out what you put in. Um, and while I think a lot of people will look at us and you can say it's, well, oh, you guys are crazy risk takers. Um, I think the reality is, is that it's at least my history has been, I'm a very calculated risk taker. And I don't take risks where I can't calculate the outcome. Um, I go, I always use this example. I go to the lake in the summertime with some friends and everybody's jumping off the cliffs and I'm not the one jumping off the cliffs because I don't know what's under the water. That's, that's how I operate, um, which is probably would be a surprise if you would say, wow, the snowboarder is not going to jump off the cliff. Um, yeah, it's a risk I can't c calculate. So that's part of it. Uh, and then also, um, you know, I worked hard to raise my own standard. Um, I never wanted to be at the edge of my ability level. I wanted to be within my ability level. And that came through constant repetition and constant practice to be able to raise my own bar so that my normal was as good or better than everyone's best. So I was never in a situation where I was going to overextend myself and put myself at risk. Um, and that was just a way of protecting the investment that I made in my career and knowing that I wanted to do it for a very long time. I wanted to do it at a high level. And so in order to do that, um, it took a lot of work on the front end and that in combination with a huge investment in the fitness side of things. I think those three things for me are really what paid off um, in the long run. Um, you know, I haven't really had too many, too many injuries in my career and I also wanted to make sure that I was going to be healthy enough uh, after snowboarding that I could still have a really healthy, active lifestyle, that I wasn't going to be, you know, done this competitive sport and say, wow, I, I wish my knees worked or I wish my back was okay. 
um, that was a huge, huge priority to me. I wasn't going to sacrifice my body and my livelihood for a sport. Um, and so I put in the prep work ahead of time and the, 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 the fitness side of things. Like I think the reality is in all sports, you, you take, you take massive hits with your body. And I just wanted to make sure I was going to bounce, um, when I did that and not break. And that was something that I was able to, able to work out. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. I've seen a number of my friends and I've seen, you know, people like we just saw Lindsay retire and, uh, sight kind of too much pain and a lot of stuff going on physically. Um, I never wanted to make that decision to require, uh, to retire, uh, based off of something like that. I, I wanted to be the one to make that decision. And I'm really grateful that I was able to make that choice so that I can sit here on the other side of it and say, wow, I don't have any doubts that I went out on my terms. Um, and that was something that, you know, 10 years ago, I figured out how can I make sure that I'm able to say I've had enough when I want to say I've had enough, not that I can't keep up with the tricks or that my body physically won't do it anymore. And I'm, I'm grateful that um, I had the team of people around me to set me up to be able to, to put myself in that position. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still remarkable. I mean, it's that kind of longevity in that arena is, is just really something else. It's also interesting, of course, that, you know, a super important part of your story is that first Olympics of yours, where in fact you were dealing with an injury. So yeah, lest anybody think you dodged all the bullets that that's not, that's not quite, quite right. Right. It's not about dodging them all. I guess it's about mitigating it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you're going to have your bumps, your bruises, you're going to have to overcome some things that are really difficult. Um, and put stuff, you know, on the back burner and get the job done. I think that's, you know, it's, it's not always a, a perfect kind of fairy tale setting. There's a lot of things that you overcome. And I think, you know, it's those days that I overcame, um, different aspects of physical limitations and, uh, crazy circumstances, personal in my personal life, different things like that, that I think make some of those wins in my career that perhaps, you know, nobody would, would recognize as great for me. It's, it's those personal moments where I know what I overcame that really gives some of those, those victories, um, a lot of value to me. Uh, you just, you just value things based off of what they cost you. And so for me, those days, uh, fighting through some of that stuff made me appreciate some of those wins and make them even sweeter than anyone ever knew. That's a very good point. And I want to, I, that's actually where I really want to get this conversation going. I mean, I think you just said it very well. And before we kind of continue on that line of inquiry, I did want to ask you about Chloe Kim. I just think this is so interesting as you close out a competitive halfpipe career that there's this other really young girl who came onto the scene. And in some ways, at least, at least from a peripheral point of view, it doesn't seem too dissimilar from your own entrance onto like the global stage of snowboarding. So I'm just curious how you think about Chloe kind of juxtaposed with where you were at when you were her age and coming onto the scene. Yeah. I mean, Chloe and I have a great friendship. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like too long ago for me, but uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess it was, I was, uh, I was the 18 year old gold medalist at one point in time. Um, and so I, I understand a lot of what she's processing through and going through and, um, navigating as an athlete, as a, as a, a reigning Olympic champion, you know, all of those things that come along with it. Um, 
you know, I think the only aspects that I think are different right now is there's the aspect of social media that probably makes things, the landscape a little bit different. And I think snowboarding is a bit more um, commonplace than it was. I think when in 2002, when I won the Olympics, it was it was kind of snowboarding's coming out party. It was when it really burst onto the scene of mainstream America. And I think it's much more of an established sport right now. Um, other than that, uh, there's a ton of similarities and just having early success. And, and I think it's up to her to figure out how to navigate that well. And I think I can speak from experience that sudden success is kind of easy. Being a rookie is is being is very easy. It's when you start to navigate that expectation and and try to figure out how to sustain success. That's where the the true test comes. Um, and not only sustain it, but actually continue to enjoy it. You know, there's there's a lot of aspects that goes into athletics. Um, success being one of them, but actually enjoying what you do and maintaining those kind of those kind of core attributes of why you started the sport. Um, I think that'll be really fun to watch Chloe and cheer her on, you know, into this next kind of phase of her career as she tries to really sustain that excellence that she requires and progress um, while still um, capturing that passion for the sport that I think we all kind of started it for. And this is exactly what I have been so looking forward to kind of speaking with you a, a bit more about which is happiness versus accomplishment. It's just simply a statement of fact that you are the most accomplished snowboarder ever. And I think it's easy to look at people like you and just think, man, if only I had that. But, you know, I've been reading your book, Inspired. And early on, you, you discuss how you had just won a gold medal at the age of 18. And you write, quote, my eyes were so tired from all of the events that when I would shut them to put on makeup, they would fill with tears almost uncontrollably. And I'd love to hear you talk a bit about this because I think we have this cultural obsession with like best ever lists, right? And we do this all the time with respect to athletes. We almost never actually think about or talk about like how many of the all-time greats are truly happy or fulfilled. And anyway, I'd like to hear you speak to this because you are one of these people that I think that from afar we do this to, <laughs> right? It's like you're winning, you're 18, you're on top of the world. Of course, you're the happiest person in the world. Where's the disconnect? <laughs> well, for me, I found um, at 18 years old, I had won the X Games, the US Open, and the Olympics all in one, one season. Those are the three biggest events in snowboarding. If you win one of them during your entire career, you usually had kind of a successful career as a result. And so I had really hit this pinnacle at a young age. And um, I was just kind of growing up too, you know, and kind of just on to the next and and dreaming and, and shooting for the moon. And, and all of a sudden I found myself that I actually shot for the moon and I made it. And um, I guess for me... I had the idea, um, I write about this in the book, that uh, it's very easy to mistake success for significance. And I think rather than looking for success, I found myself looking for significance. And all the success in the world couldn't give me that kind of um, 
that sense of, of self-worth and what I was really looking for. And I was trying to fill it with all this achievement. And, you know, the perspective that I have is very unique because um, there's only a handful of people who can say, hey, you know, I actually got to the top and, and I actually found that what I wasn't what I was looking for wasn't there. You know, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to and actually reach the top to find that it's 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 a hollow victory. Um, all that being said, I wouldn't change the the road that I walked and that I traveled because it gave me this perspective to really kind of figure out, you know, what it what was I looking for? What did I need? Um, and I, I guess in the world of athletics, um, in a performance culture, I think, you know, you don't have to be an Olympian, find yourself in a performance culture. Um, it's so easy to get your identity mixed up in, in what you do and in your performance. Um, and when you do that, what you do becomes, uh, it, it doesn't become very enjoyable anymore. It becomes something that you have to do instead of something that you want to do or something that you love to do, like snowboarding. It becomes, I've got to maintain this level of excellence that only I can maintain. And week to week, it becomes about protecting what you've built rather than progressing and growing as an individual. So, um, you know, I can kind of boil it down to, you know, a few few minutes of speaking here, but it really took a lifetime to learn. And I don't think I've, I've really even mastered it. I think it's something that I'm continually learning. But, um, you know, when people ask me, you know, what's the best advice that, that I would give a young athlete, I would say, hey, don't get your identity wrapped up in your performance and your performance will actually get freed up to to be better than you ever could imagine and you actually enjoy it and um you get to sustain that success I think for me that's how I had a 20-year career and actually you know enjoyed it I, I think burnout comes from unmet expectations um not too much activity and it's it's really a matter of <clears throat> figuring out you know, a good sense of self-worth apart from what you do. Um, and you can find that in a lot of different areas and relationships with other people and faith and different, different aspects. But, um, for me, that's been the single most important thing in my career that has led me to have a long career and actually led me to like, enjoy what I do, because I think I've seen a lot of athletes even have a, a lot of success at, and, and, but they hang on to it, you know, um, and it becomes something that drives them rather than something that they navigate. And so I never wanted to be at the mercy of my, of my career, of my circumstances. I wanted to be the one pushing myself to see what I'm capable of, um, you know, day in, day out, not because it was an Olympic year or an Olympic final. Um, it just freed me up to progress my snowboarding, to enjoy what I do. And, and I think, you know, ultimately, in the world of athletics, it can become such a self-focused game. Um, and it's really the next man up mentality. And I love that about women's snowboarding. You know, even you just mentioned Chloe, I think, you know, I take such great pride in, in helping other people, uh, you know, not spend 20 years learning this, uh, making the same mistakes that I did and setting other people up to be more successful. I think when you start to realize that, you know, there's people, there's a culture, there's other athletes that you can invest in that will outlast your ability to perform. I think there's a level of fulfillment that comes with that, 
that I think only in the last few years of my career, I really tapped into and realized that, hey, I want to build something that outlasts my ability to perform because however much we may want to continue to be a pro snowboarder, um, you know, 20 years is a pretty solid run. But beyond that, the stars fade, the, the, the medals the metals dim and eventually records do get broken and you do get replaced. And so figuring out how to not get your identity and your self-worth from that makes the transition much easier as well, where I can sit back now and, and champion the people around me instead of be threatened by the fact that people will break my records. In thinking about anybody in any profession or any sport to like absolutely maximize your potential, That requires such a singularity of focus that I guess it's easy to understand why so many competitive folks do end up getting their identity all wrapped up with that performance. And yet, I mean, you obviously your faith is, you know, and and a, a growing into your faith turned out to be a super important, like parallel thing for you. But I don't know if it's like if there's a ability to generalize the advice, like everybody's got to find that other thing to break you out of the narcissism or the obsession or that singular focus. And yet, how do you maximize potential without that fierce focus? Yeah, I always say it's in our job description to prioritize everything about our sport. You know, as an as an athlete, that's that's required. Everything gets sacrificed for the dream. Everything is in relation to the dream, you know, and that's, that's how it's been for me. But it all, all, I think the thing like, yes, you, I can tell people, Hey, this is really important. Don't get that identity thing mixed up. Um, it's how you measure success and it's how you, and it's what you, um, say is, is the only thing that's important is external success. Um, both of those things, really play a big role in it. Um, I think it's easy to say success only looks like coming home with a medal where I would, I would challenge that and say, Hey, there are so many things like I referenced before that, that no one even knows about me that I can look back at my performance and say, wow, that was a huge victory. No one knows what I overcame. Um, when your only measure of success is based off of something that people can see, and that is external, um, it's going to be a dogfight to the end. Until you can learn to champion things like personal growth um, and and look at, you know, some of the blood, sweat, and tears that no one saw that really gives something true value. Um, it's it's, it's going to be a long road. Um, but I've learned, you know, one of the most important things I've learned in my career is to is to value the things that no one sees more than the things that everyone sees. And in a world of social media and in a world of competitive sports, um, we want everyone to see everything. We film everything. We post everything. We, we say, Hey, look at, look at everything. Give me an opinion. I would challenge people that the things that, that, uh, your, your private world is much more important than your public one. Um, And that goes in sports, that goes with integrity, that goes with a lot of different aspects of your life. And I think those are the things and the the, um, concepts that you can do. You don't have to be, you know, a top level Olympian 
to find a value for the things that that aren't on display, that aren't public. Um, and those are the things that really set you up to be successful when when your world <clears throat> really is on display for people to see. Huge question, but rather than dive down a long rabbit hole on this, I'm going to ask you for like a shorter answer and see if this resonates. Would you say that over the course of your career, the bigger motivator was like the joy of winning or was it the fear of losing? Um, yeah, I never wanted to be motivated by fear. I find we're at our worst when we're afraid. Um, you get very threatened. If you've ever seen someone who's afraid, um, you know, when we're threatened, we're at our worst and good sports performances don't come in that, in that spectrum. I find, um, winning honestly, hasn't been a huge motivator for me, perhaps when I was young, um, you know, the idea of winning was in the mix. Uh, I don't find myself to be an overly competitive person. I'm not like a great person to play board games with or something. Um, but it's, it's really excellence and what I'm capable of. I love the idea that I could spend four years working on something and then get to get 30 seconds to put it on display and see what I built. I love that idea. I love the idea of seeing what I'm capable of though. That's really what's, what's motivated me. Um, you know, competition, I'm my biggest competition. I'm not really looking to the other people. I'm, I'm inspired by the other people around me, but I'm not threatened or, um, you know, out there to beat anyone. I'm out there to do my best. Um, and that's just kind of how I'm wired. I've had competitors throughout the years wired all different ways. Um, but for me, it was really to those, I liked competition because it was an opportunity to see what I built. Well said and a lesson that I think a lot of us can learn and, and, and should remember. Um, that sounds very, very healthy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it lends itself to snowboarding. There's a bit of camaraderie there where I want to do my best when everybody else shows up and does their best. You know, those are the kind of days that I want to snowboard on. And those are the events that I remember most. Um, and it's honestly like the most sustainable way I found to approach it where you're not compromising your choices based off of what's going on around you. You're kind of in the driver's seat, navigating it, regardless of what goes around you, you're kind of accountable to your approach, your decisions and your performance. I want to ask you about something that is a hugely important part of your book. Um, and you state early in the book, uh, you say, quote, my mission is to inspire and to help people pursue their potential and be who they were created to be. I, I think that's a wonderful mission. And I'm curious, when did that mission crystallize for you and how has it evolved? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I think the book, um, as I, as I mentioned, you know, it's, it really, um, that was the heart behind the book was to put my life on, on display. I think people have an idea of who I am as a competitor, um, as a woman, as an athlete, as a snowboarder. Um, and I, I really just wanted a, a way to let people in. I think a lot of people will say writing a book feels very vulnerable. Um, I almost found it more liberating than vulnerable. Um, it was, it was more like I wanted to invite people in and see my process. And if the things that I've learned and the things that I've done can help other people, 
um, that's that's really what I want. Um, and I, I think it's it's kind of part of growing up. You know, like I mentioned, you probably move from wanting to win to realizing that the world doesn't have to revolve around you to realizing that the, the world shouldn't revolve around you. And perhaps it's more fulfilling if you include other people in your dream. And so in the midst of all that, uh, writing the book was the perfect way for me to kind of launch that concept. And, um, you know, that's why I named it Inspired. And and that really has become an aspect in every part of my life, whether it's my foundation, whether it's the the snowboard company that I that I work with at Burton, whether that's, you know, developing the best woman's pow board on the market, um, whether that's making, um, you know, steps forward in sustainability, uh, you know, helping Chloe um, in this next season of her life, um, inspiring the people around me, pushing the limits of what's capable you know it's it's just a common common thread in my life and I've just really embraced it um I I just feel like you get to a point where you just realize that life is much more enjoyable when you include other people and if if there's things that I've done that can help other people in any shape form or fashion that's my responsibility to make sure that I am and just kind of following that up and, and, and making sure that uh, snowboarding um, in the world of sports is, is better because I was a part of it. You mentioned your foundation, the Kelly Clark Foundation. Tell me just uh, what is it? How did it get started? That kind of thing. Well, I started the Kelly Clark Foundation in 2010, um, I guess right after the Olympics in 2010, so probably 2011. And um, kind of encompasses a lot of the things that I've, that I've mentioned, um, over the course of this interview. And, uh, basically I realized snowboarding was, uh, an expensive sport and there wasn't always a lot of access. And I knew from my own personal experiences that I was a recipient of scholarships and funding and people believing in me and giving me opportunity, um, to pursue my dreams. You know, not everybody has the opportunity to be great. And I wanted to make sure that if that was if that was a barrier, that was something we could take care of. So we funded we funded uh, high level competitive athletes um, and paid for their coaching. And we also partner with snow related nonprofits and we get underserved youth out on the hill because sports can just teach such valuable lessons in life. So there's kind of an entry level access point and then there is a high level competitive uh, funding. Uh, for high school students to get the coaching, basically the, the kids who live in the mountain towns, you know, a lot of their families work in the tourist industry, in the service industry, uh, and they should have all the access in the world to the right coaching and um, opportunities to train. And, and they didn't. And as a kid, I didn't. And so uh, we came in to fund that. Uh, Maddie Mastro, she's a member of the U.S. Olympic team and half pipe. She's a girl that we we paid for her coaching for a long time. And she's on the Olympic team with me. Um um, Judd Hankies is another slopestyle kid we've helped out. I think there's three kids on the U.S. team right now who we funded before they got opportunities on the U.S. team. So, again, it's just, you know, what are my opportunities to get back? And that's just one of them. Um, and I'm excited now that I actually am done competing. I, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how consuming competitive sports can be. Um, it took all my brain space, all my heart space, every aspect, all my bandwidth was going towards that one thing. And 
and now basically I keep saying, you know, I, I want my heart back. I want my head back. I want to be able to, to dream and think. And I think my foundation will be one of the things that I really think about and dream again with. And I'm excited to see where it goes now that I've got more time. I think we see so often with athletes wrapping up a, a long career, that transition is really difficult. But I kind of think what I'm hearing for you is that you're you're ready. Yeah, I, I honestly, I feel very content where I'm at right now. Um, in watching some of the events this year, um, I am I didn't expect to feel this way, but I'm already kind of like, wow, I'm glad I don't do that anymore. That season, <laughs> that season for me is over. And I'm like, oh, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm, I feel how I hoped I would feel, but I didn't anticipate it to happen this soon. Um, and I, I didn't know... Um, yeah, I didn't know my capacity, what my capacity would be to, if I wanted to be around the events or if I didn't, and I'm actually enjoying it. I'm actually heading out to the U S open this next week. Um, I'm actually going to be helping with some of the announcing for the women's pipe final. Um, and that wasn't something I anticipated being able to do this quickly, uh, which, which is just a good thing. It's, uh, I feel like I'm in a good spot. Um, but you know, this transition, honestly, I have a great group of people around me. Um, I have a great community. I have a great um, kind of, I'm in a great position to really do this transition well. And I can't tell you how hard it still is. Um, I've only known snowboarding for 20 years. I've known what my next four years look like on my schedule heading into the Olympics. I've known what dictates my yes and my no. It's always been snowboarding. And so now I'm making all these own, my own decisions. I'm navigating my own schedule there are so many aspects of this that are so challenging. And so um, I'm really understanding how difficult this can be. And I'm, I'm, I'm set up to do it really well. And it's still super hard for me to be quite honest. Hmm. Well, Kelly, I want to let you get going, but I am very grateful for the time and just the chance to to bounce some of these questions off of you. And um, it's also super cool to know that you're not exactly leaving the sport. You're gonna be there and and like you said, helping folks like Chloe and the rest. And um, I think this seems like you're just on to like phase two now. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, you know, I think it's easy to think that, you know, athletic careers are the pinnacle point of someone's life. And um, I, I like to think I'm just getting started. Um, so we'll see where I go, but thanks so much for the conversation today. It's always fun to share just kind of little snapshots beyond what people see of me on TV for 30 seconds, you know, here and there competing. So I love getting to uh, just kind of dive into some of my motivations. And, uh, you know, like like I said, I hope I hope people are inspired and uh, kind of spurred on in their own journey. Well, I, I think you've pulled that off and uh, uh, can't wait to see you do more of that for, for people. And, and I'm sure you will. So. Kelly, thank you again for the time and uh, best of luck with everything you've got on tap in this quote unquote uh, retirement of yours. <laughs> oh, yes. So retired. <laughs> so retired. <laughs> right. You. you take care. Thanks. Bye bye. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Kelly Clark for the conversation. And be sure to check out the show notes for this episode on the Blister website to see photos of her new snowboard, to watch her new video to get links to her book, Inspired, that you all should read, and also to get links to learn more about the Kelly Clark Foundation. 
And don't forget to join us at Western Colorado University in Gunnison on February 28th at 6 p.m. for a live interview and Q&A that I will be doing with Eric Larson. And then you should also remember to come out to the open house that we're hosting at Blister HQ, where you can see our showroom and a bunch of new gear. It's going to be a fun little party. Okay, thanks to all of you for listening. Take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.